Chapter 1. Where We Begin. Made Good. Did you know that the brainstem controls all the functions we rely on to live? It sends messages to our body to pump our blood, help us digest food, and even breathe. I can't remember the last time I thought about the different parts of the brain besides when I was dissecting a cat in anatomy and physiology during my freshman year of college. My friends and I lovingly named her Glenda. I'll spare you the details. Fast forward from college to February of 2020 when my father-in-law had a heart attack. Yes, for my family, 2020 sucked even before COVID. My husband, myself, and our two little kids drove up to Michigan from Ohio to my in-law's house to help out while my father-in-law underwent triple bypass surgery, which was successful. Praise the Lord. Coming home from the hospital one day that week, my mother-in-law shared a striking insight. She marveled that the silent working of his body all his life was itself a miracle. His beautiful heart has been beating without fail for 63 years, and I have never given it much thought until now, she said. Right now, as you sit and read or listen to these words, perhaps sipping coffee or enjoying the sunshine, your heart is pumping. Your body is doing an insane amount of work to keep you alive and active. God is a true artist, isn't he? He made you so intricately. He made all of creation. With no blueprint in hand, God created. He created the mountains and the trees. He created the ocean and sand, the coral reef, the great lakes, rainforests, pebbles, snow, dirt, grass. If you can, go outside and take it all in for a minute. Scripture says, What is man that God is mindful of him? Who am I that God is mindful of me? Not only that, but God made me. He made me more intricate and beautiful than all of nature and creation. Right now, my heart is beating. My breath is steady. My body is shivering a little to keep me warm. Hello, 25 degree day in October in Minnesota. Right now, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about this formation book. Somewhere in my brain, I am thinking about what I want to eat for lunch. Not only that, but I'm experiencing multiple emotions at the same time. Seriously, my subconscious is a happening place right now. My heart and my soul are alive. I was made by God, and I am good. You were made by God, and you are good. Yeah, sure, but no. You were made by God, and you are good. That is the truth. Adam and Eve were made good. Before the fall, Adam and Eve lived in harmony with God and with each other and all of creation. Not only did God make you and me and people in general, but he made us distinct as male and female, men and women, and he said that it was very good. This is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. Quote, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, after our likeness. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that crawl on the earth. And so it happened. God looked at everything he made and found it very good. Evening came and morning followed, the sixth day. Made male and female. What I'm going to say next might make you shift in your seat a bit. If I was to post it on my Instagram, I'd probably get some intense feedback. 
The topic of womanhood, manhood, and sexuality is heavily debated in our world right now. And the way you decide to see things is your own choice. But I'll be doing my best to present a Christian view of womanhood and sexuality. Let's continue. God intentionally made men and women differently. And being a man or a woman was not intended by God to be a surface characteristic, social construct, or as a tool to oppress women. God said that he made men and women after his own image and likeness. Together, we bear the image of God to the whole world. That's not to say that we're half beings, but both men and women are irreplaceable. JP2 says in Mulieris Dignitatum, To say that man is created in the image and likeness of God means that man is called to exist for others, to become a gift. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, Each of the two sexes is an image of the power and tenderness of God, with equal dignity, though in a different way. Women are made in the image and likeness of God. Women convey something of God to the whole world. As his daughter, his own likeness is imprinted upon your being. The same can be said for men. As God's sons, his own likeness is imprinted upon their being. Yet, God was not finished when he created Adam. The world also needed Eve, and he gave them, together, a mission. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He could have willed into being all people who have ever lived. In a sense, he does, but in this way. He invites man and woman to be co-creators with him. God made us, and he invites us to participate in his bringing forth new creations. He puts into the architecture of our bodies the ability to love, to come together in flesh, which produces new life, which we bear and raise up. There's a dignity in this that we should receive with reverence and awe. Not only is this an honor, but it also speaks to something fundamental about God's creation. Out of the abundant love of the Trinity, we were created. Out of the abundant love of mother and father, children are born. Although this human love is not perfect as God's love is perfect, even in our brokenness, he invites us to bear life. What God says to Adam and Eve, he also says to us. He made us male and female and said to be fruitful and multiply. Maybe you've heard it said that Eve was our first mother. Motherhood was deeply imprinted upon her identity. And because she represents all women, that means that motherhood is deeply imprinted upon the identity of every woman. Fatherhood is deeply imprinted upon the identity of every man. Motherhood, beyond just the physical bearing of children, is a theme that you'll see throughout this book, and I'm really excited to dive into it with you. Different and Equal God made Adam and Eve male and female, and they were different. Men and women are different. We see this from our obvious physical characteristics to our psychological characteristics. We can see the way that many organs function different than men and between men and women. We can see in our bodies that we are distinct. But we also see it in our lived experience. Sometimes we just don't seem to be on the same page with one another. I would venture to say that you've probably had a moment where you thought, what was he thinking after a brother or a male friend did or said something? Maybe you've asked yourself, why doesn't he understand when I'm trying to communicate, when trying to explain your thoughts to a man that you know? These are small examples, but we can look to our lived experiences and see that men and women truly are different and distinct. The Catechism says, 
man and woman were made for each other. Not that God left them half-made and incomplete. He created them to be a communion of persons, in which each can be a helpmate to the other. For they are equal as persons and complementary as masculine and feminine. Our differences, which can sometimes lead us to confusion or frustration, can also lead us to collaboration and great joy. We are helpmates to one another. We both bring gifts and insights to the table that complement each other. Just who we are, in our being, our dispositions, our presence, is complementary to one another. There's something special, powerful, and needed about being with just women and for men to be with just men. But when we come together, it's right and good. These differences or distinctions can be challenging to put into words. Have you ever tried to explain what's masculine or what's feminine? Every example or characteristic I've heard seems to fall short in some way. Some examples fall into stereotypes that are confusing or can make us feel ashamed or less than. I enjoy movies about war, watching sports, drinking whiskey, and I'm not into Disney movies. Does this mean I'm not feminine? Of course not. Boxing in our interests as either masculine or feminine does not help us to understand womanhood. Even some characteristics like being compassionate or nurturing seem to over oversimplify our distinctions. I am compassionate and nurturing, but I'm also strong and resilient. Although it's hard to define masculinity and femininity, I would argue that when we see true masculinity or femininity lived out, we can identify it. This speaks to the mystery of the human person. We are not problems to be solved or puzzles to be sorted out. We are mysteries to be beheld. I don't need to fully understand myself, my femininity, or my complexities to recognize the goodness in how God made me or to continue to grow in my identity as a woman. We also don't need a perfectly articulated definition of femininity in order to discuss our womanhood and how to grow in it. As we go through the contents of this book and dive into different topics, keep in mind that as men and women, God made us good. We are mysteries to discover, not problems to be solved. Fallen. Let's look back to Adam and Eve. Consider for a moment that the first man and woman lived in harmony. The ways that they were distinct as male and female were complementary with one another. There was no comparison, competition, confusion, or misunderstandings. That must have been amazing. But they had an enemy. We read in Genesis chapter 3, Then God asked, quote, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I for- have forbidden you to eat? The man replied, The woman whom you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, so I ate it. The Lord God then asked the woman, What is this you have done? The woman answered, The snake tricked me, so I ate it. Satan targeted Eve, and Eve was deceived. She fell into the lie that God did not truly love her and that he was holding out on her. This led Eve to tempt Adam to sin as well. Both Eve and Adam hold responsibility here. Adam did not protect the woman from deception. He also made the choice to eat the fruit, and he blames her for his sin. After Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent, we immediately see conflict arise between them. At first, I couldn't imagine the turmoil that both Adam and Eve felt individually as they mourned the loss of intimacy with their Lord and also with one another. 
I couldn't imagine the conversations, arguments, and wounds that Adam and Eve experienced in their relationship with one another. But as I reflected upon this further, I realized I can imagine it. I experienced that turmoil, and I experienced the challenge of relating to others, both men and other women. I experienced the heaviness of misunderstandings, of hurting those dearest to me through my own selfishness, of not feeling valued or seen by the people in my life. Our relationship with God and our relationships with others were wounded in the fall. The plan. But the enemy didn't win. Instead of scrapping his creation and starting over, God was creative once again and set a plan into action, a beautiful and mysterious plan. God begins to make known the plan even as the horrible results of the first sin are playing out. In a statement known as the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, God says to the serpent, who is Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. They will strike at your head while you strike at their heel. The first offspring God has in mind, according to the saints, is Jesus himself. His death at the hands of sinful humans crushes Satan's power. This is the plan. The plan that would overcome all evil, darkness, and sin. The plan that would give us the remedy for comparison, competition, confusion, and misunderstanding. God did not intend for us to experience brokenness. God did not make you or I to be broken. We were made good, remember? But we do experience brokenness every day, and this is why he set into action the plan. In his love and goodness, he came and allowed us to physically break him so that we could be whole. As we go through the contents of this book, we must remember that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the ultimate act of love. We learn how to love by looking at how he first loved us. This love is the foundation for our understanding of what it means to be men and women. Because of love. We've established that God made us good, but why did he make us in the first place? I don't have a perfect theological answer to this, but let's embrace the mystery of this question and try to answer it anyway. So, why did God make you? Because he loves you. Because he exists and wanted you to exist as well. Because God is love and wanted you to be a part of love itself. Why did God make you a woman? Because he loves you. Because to be a woman is good and he wanted you to experience that goodness. Because he knows that women bring something critical to all of humanity. Being made a woman was not an accident or a random lottery that occurred when sperm met egg, but an intentional act of God. Womanhood was a part of God's specific design when he made you. Being a woman is what God wants for you from beginning to end. In the story of your salvation, womanhood will be key to the plot, not an afterthought by the author. That story is intended to include not only you, but many others as well. This is a testimony from a woman named Sophia. Quote, 
When I was growing up, my mom wasn't really present to me. She had moved away to a different city right as I was blossoming into an awkward middle schooler. Not having a model for a strong woman around the house made me think of women as being weak and frankly, too emotional to be helpful. I internalized this broken relationship and felt that I too was broken. How could I be a woman if I was only learning how to do that from my dad? I didn't even want to be a woman. Why would I? My mom was not just unfaithful to my family, she was unfaithful to me. I didn't want to be like her, yet I was longing to know that being a woman could be a worthy calling. I wanted to believe that being a woman wasn't just God's second choice, but his appointing to me, his gift to me. So what happened? There were a few women in my life who modeled faithfulness and a life of holiness to me. Sure, there were a handful of non-stellar examples along the way, but there were also women who chose me in all of my messy middle school glory, just as I was. They weren't afraid to encounter me and see me. Those women spoke confidently. Women who spoke confidently about who they were and didn't see their femininity as second rate. They loved being a woman. And their genuine love for God's gift of womanhood radiated into the, into the dark corners of my heart. Further, they helped me to forgive my mom for what she didn't give me. In the end, it was the Lord's sovereign hand that led me from a place of feeling disgust at being a woman to being grateful that I belong to Him and I am a woman. Through forgiveness of my own mom and past experiences to the immersive experience of being loved and cared for by other women, I began to know my worth. In overcoming my own obstacles, I learned that becoming a woman is my whole life's journey. It cannot be accomplished in a day, nor can it be bought. The real cost on the journey is to allow the Lord to lead and to reject the lie that you can come up with how to be a woman outside of his love. Reality check. I hope you're tracking with everything so far, but let's get real for a minute. Even if the ideals I have laid out are good and true, they are not always easy to remember as we live our lives. As you're reading this, maybe a few conflicting feelings are coming to mind. Maybe you feel directionless because you haven't had good female role models in your life. Maybe the older women in your life have left you with a negative impression of womanhood. Perhaps your mother or teachers or aunts or sisters have fallen short and left you feeling critical of women or even wounded by them. Maybe you see other women and wish you could be more like them. They seem to be happier, smarter, healthier, prettier, more popular, and you don't feel like you can ever be a woman like they are a woman. Maybe you love being a woman and can relate strongly with the idea of being a daughter of God, but you get discouraged sometimes by the various obstacles you encounter both in the world and with your, within your own heart. Maybe you feel that the secular understanding and standard of being a woman is at times at odds with Christian values, and it's hard to know how to proceed with that dynamic. Maybe you don't fall into the stereotypes that we hear sometimes and you don't feel like you belong in SPO or other Christian or Catholic groups because your interests or demeanor are different than the women you see. Maybe you've been hurt by men and that experience has left you feeling vulnerable, less than, used, ashamed, or bitter. Maybe you see women being a woman as a curse or an inconvenience. Maybe you wish you were in a relationship and are feeling lonely confused or unsure about what the future holds. 
I want to say that these are real struggles and your experiences are valid. It is normal to struggle with one or many of these things and perhaps more I haven't even listed. We're bound to struggle because we too have an enemy and we live in a fallen world. Let's read a paraphrased excerpt from the book Captivating by John and Stacey Eldridge that does an excellent job of explaining the spiritual battle we are in. Quote, Notice, who does the evil one go after? Who does Satan single out for his move against the human race? He could have chosen Adam, but he didn't. Satan went after Eve. He sets his sights on her. Have you ever wondered why? It might have been that he, like any predator, chose what he believed to be the weaker of the two, but we believe that there's more. Why does Satan make Eve the focus of his assault on humanity? You may know that Satan was first named Lucifer, or son of the morning. The authors explain how Satan was originally beautiful, breathtaking even. This is where pride entered. He was jealous and believed that he should be the one whom creation worshipped. They go on. Quote, Satan fell because of his beauty. Now his heart for revenge is to assault beauty. He destroys it in the natural world wherever he can, but most especially he hates Eve because she is captivating, uniquely glorious, and he cannot be. The evil one also hates Eve because she brings life. Women give birth, not men. Women nourish life, and they also bring life into the world soulfully, relationally, spiritually, and everything they touch. End quote. Satan, on the other hand, brings death. Quote, and thus Eve is the greatest human threat, for she brings life. Eve means life or life producer. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. A later paragraph says, the message of our wounds nearly always is, this is because of you. This is what you deserve. It changes things to realize that no, it is because you are glorious that these things happened. It is because you are powerful. It is because you are a major threat to the kingdom of darkness. Because you uniquely carry the glory of God to the world. Satan does indeed have a specific hatred for women because we are the daughters of Eve. And this is not reason to fear, but rather a reason to take our identity as women and Christians seriously. When I was in high school, I had a powerful conversion experience. I'll share more details in the next chapter, but I came to realize how desperately I needed God. I was stuck in habits of sin and was frequently going to confession. I made a commitment to stop by the Adoration Chapel at my parish every day after school. The parish priest there did not judge me for my weakness but once told me, Satan fears the potential of women like you. I will never forget that. This priest who knew my weaknesses and some of the challenges I was facing saw them as an avenue for God's grace to work powerfully in my life, not a hindrance. We experience at different times in our life that our womanhood is challenging for us. We're all fallen and in need of healing. Women in our femininity and men in their masculinity. Jesus Christ is the healer. The design isn't the problem. The brokenness of our world is the problem. But our fallen state is not the end. Jesus came to redeem us, all of us, every part of our life. We are, after all, his family, his daughters. As you read these chapters, bring your whole self exactly where you are into each chapter. 
as you do, I believe that God will reveal himself and his love more and more to you and make it clear that it was, in fact, very good that he made you a woman and that his plan for you is not disconnected from your feminine identity, but intimately linked to the best God has for you.